Hello, welcome to the Grace Life Podcast. The message you're about to hear, if diligently applied, will absolutely change your life. We're praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, thereby allowing the eyes of your understanding to be enlightened. Now let's join the service already in progress with Pastor West. Someone this morning that's going to come tell us, Scott and Tabitha, you can come on up. They're, they, most of you know they probably uh, uh, probably already know this, but they went on a mission trip during spring break, was it? And uh, they went to Ireland, and uh, they went with John Smithwick, Smithwick Ministries. And uh, so uh, this was kind of unique because it was a family uh, mission trip, right? And he doesn't do that all the time, does he? The the family mission trip. So, uh, so she had told me that they were going as a family uh, mission trip this time. So I thought that was awesome. So I asked them to come and share, and I think they have some pictures for us. So, amen. Well, I'm going to tell you about the pictures first, and then Scott can say what he wants to say. Um, if you want to start that, Elliot. The first picture, I believe, is a monastery. It was built in the 1800s. That's where we stayed. This is our group. There was almost 50 of us. Um, We did not see the outside for the first two days because as soon as you get there, after 24 hours of traveling, you are straight into training. So you've had like an hour and 45 minutes of sleep, and then you start training. (laughs) Um, Actually, this monastery, the the chapel's like to the left there, and we had a driver named Kevin. He's a minister at a church there. He was our driver when we'd go out. And Wynn Goss, he actually heard him speak at that. We got to talking one day, and he knew who Wynn Goss was. And he had actually listened to him speak at that chapel one time. So, uh, 20-something years ago. Yeah, 20-something years ago. So, And over there, they don't like to be called pastor or ma'am or sir or anything like that. They're just, they don't like formal. You just call them Kevin. So, so that was used to get, to get used to. Uh, the next one. Uh, this is after our two days of training. The first place we went to was like a senior citizens group where they get together and do things. And this is actually the second one we went to. The first one we went to, you do a drama and a skit, and there's Bubbles the Clown. There were seven teams, and you'd go out every day in different directions. And um, on the first one we went to, they did the skit. That Matt's was a thief in that one and then the angry person got mad and that sort of thing he did really well Scott was actually Jesus in that he was going over there to help him So, uh, but the older people at this when we did it at the first group they were kind of disappointed that we didn't have music like they wanted like singing which is not part of the thing so they mentioned it to Kevin our driver and so by the next time we had a couple of hours, we changed everything. One of the locals had a guitar, so right on the spur, Scott and them came up with a song, and we had to change the whole thing, and they sang Amazing Grace. Uh, and then Caleb sang a song. And then after that, the ladies sing, up, sing to us, so it was really nice. And the next one, oh, this is, that's John, who we went with, Smithwick, and we're get, just taking a picture of that one. So the next... Uh, that's Kevin there. He was our driver. He's a pastor there at a church. Um, 
we had a couple of churches that we were working with. That way, after we ministered, we had somewhere to send them. So you're not just ministering to them and then sending them, just leaving them. Uh, that's Emily. She was uh, Strawberry, and she did an awesome job. She was up on stage every night dancing and doing her skit, and I was so proud of her. She did a very good job, and she was on our team. That was good because if she wouldn't have been, we wouldn't have never saw her because you're going all day doing stuff. Uh, next picture. Uh, this is our group. This was our team. We were leaving each other, and we were sad, so we took a picture. I should have put these in better order, but I didn't. Uh, first day, I was Bubbles the Clown. Every team has Bubbles. He's part of the drama and skit that you do. I like being the clown because you didn't have to speak and you could be silly. Uh, I'm not really good at acting. If you, what you see is what you get. So the drama was a test for me. <laughs> so uh, it definitely got me out of my comfort zone. Uh, I'm a behind the scenes type person. I don't need a platform. I don't need a stage. Just tell me what you need done and I'll do it. So. Uh, this little girl, actually, we had ran into her in this part. This was the part they, the kids are kind of just left on their own. They're, it's really rough. Uh, their language is like a 40-something-year-old New Yorker, and they're like eight. <laughs> it's really bad. And uh, this girl, little girl saw me, and she actually had her granddad get in the car and come find me because we had already walked away, and she wanted her picture made. Um, next picture. This is the senior citizen, and they all love Max. They uh, wanted to teach him how to knit, <laughs> so he had a good time there. And the next, and that's also them. About this, uh, what we take for granted here is Jesus, because there they believe they're Christians, but it's not based on Jesus. It's based on maybe if you're good enough, you can make it to heaven. And uh, it's not about a relationship. I don't even think Jesus is hardly mentioned at all. So they believe that you just have to be good and in your own works and your own ability. And then maybe, just maybe, if you were good enough, you would get to go to heaven, which is a sad way to have to live. Uh, next, uh, street ministry. This was hard. It's not like when you go to Peru and you stand on the corner for hours and they just want to hear what you have to say. They're a first world country just like us. They're high paced. Uh, they usually won't even acknowledge that you're there. Uh, this guy, I think, had just came over from Romania and they were escaping there. As you can see, his little boy, they, I guess they left with what they had. He's actually in pajamas. They didn't have anything. Uh, Scott ministered to him. He didn't say the salvation prayer, but he was close. He did get the seed planted. Um, Max's bubbles that day. Every day they change out who bubbles is, so you all have a different part. They make sure that they put you to work. No matter what your age is, they put you to work. So uh, Next one. Another couple of little girls. Now, he re their parents rejected Jesus. I forget what. They were Muslim and... Uh, Scott talked to them for a while, but uh, he didn't ha wasn't going for it. Next one. Uh, this is one night at the crusade. Um, our very first one, I believe. It was like helling ice. Thankfully, we had a tent. Uh, it, everything was based around the kids because that kind of broke the wall down. Because uh, with the adults, you know, they were just firm on what they believe. 
uh, the second night when we were out, because we did two of these, and the second night we ran, I noticed a lady that I had saw there the night before, and I had, was like sitting like right behind her, and they had a little girl. And the second day when we were out handing out flowers again, she was like, well, we were there last night. And she said, my little girl had so many questions about Jesus after that, because they're not taught Jesus. We take that for granted. You know, our kids or taught Jesus since they're born, and you don't think about it, but she didn't even know, had never even heard of Jesus. And she was so excited, and she told her mom she wanted to come back the next night, and her, her eyes was just, you could just watch until she was soaking it all in, and she wanted to know who this Jesus was. So they actually came back the second night as well. Um, and the next one... There's Scott. This was back, we were back, after we passed up flowers, we came back to the, what they considered the rough part of town with these kids, and we did a tournament with games and everything with them. Um, and they had a competition, and then we ministered, did our skits and everything. Zach was Jesus. He got candy thrown at him because they didn't want to hear about Jesus. These, like I said, these kids are unsupervised, running around, and they just tell you what they think. Uh, but they got ministered to. Uh, this is, I didn't know my son was Jesus, but anyway, no, I'm just playing. The, at the very last Easter, the main thing Easter, our normal Jesus could not play Jesus. Uh, he ended up not feeling too well. And so Zach had about a five-minute lesson on how to be Jesus. He did awesome. Uh, I'm proud of both my boys. They stepped up, and they just fit right in. They just did all the stuff, and they, did, they were better doing it than I was. <laughs> so uh, the next one, that's the crowd. I was trying to get an idea of how many people were there. And then the next one. Uh, that's Jesus getting nailed to the cross. And then the next one I think is my favorite one. These kids' eyes, when I turned around and I, when I, this is actually a video, but I was watching the video and they were so, they're just, they've never heard of Jesus. So their eyes were just attached and they were just all into hearing about this Jesus. And so that was awesome. And the next, that it? Okay, so that's it. So, um, Anyway, so like I said, it was hard. It was not like going to Peru and you're American and they just want to hear what you have to say. You have to like really put yourself out there. We were in the city, so it was fast-paced. Um, three things I like about America that is good plumbing <laughs> because when we were there, uh, you have 50 people. After you flush the commode, it takes about 15 minutes for you to be able to flush it again. The, the day before we got ready to leave, they, their tanks ran out of water, uh, so no one could take a bath, and you could not flush the toilets. So with 50 people not being able to flush the toilets, it, it got really gross really fast. <laughs> uh, second thing is, one night I went to sweep after we got done eating, and their brooms are literally this wide and this big. And I asked one of the Americans that has a church there, I was like, what is the deal with these brooms? I mean, it takes forever. He said, this is all we have. I was like, I need to bring a bunch of regular-sized brooms over here <laughs> Me a business. So, And then also ice. There's no ice. There's no ice in the restaurants. Uh, whether you go to Subway or a fancy restaurant, you just don't, they don't serve ice. You don't have ice. But um, it was a good experience. I'm glad we got to do this as a family. It did push us out of our comfort zones. Um, I would like for them to be able to experience, you know, a third-world country, too, so they can see how blessed they are. Um, but like I said, 
it, you don't get the numbers that you get like going to Peru and that sort of thing, but we got like 50%, and so that was good. Even if it was just one, it was worth it. So. I have time. <laughs> I didn't take her that time. She took all my time. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I'll keep it short and sweet. I wrote down what I wanted to say, so I'll just read it. Um, uh, it was amazing to me to see the gospel in action on such a large scale. Uh, and uh, I would recommend it for anybody if you ever get the chance. But uh, we basically have 46 missionaries from the U.S., Canada, and Australia, multiple states uh, all over the, our country. Uh, we all met in Philadelphia, flew across the Atlantic Ocean to Dublin, uh, where we were bused to Limerick uh, just to get to the place that we were going to minister. And that was a feat in itself. <laughs> you know, and I know it takes a lot. It's, it's unbelievable what Global Ventures actually does. Or uh, any, any, any people who are called by God to, to go into the, the world like that, it takes a lot. And uh, uh, so I, that, that wasn't in there, but let's see. And then I said, uh, there were five to six local churches and or pastors that, that we were working with. Uh, six to eight drivers who volunteered their time all week long to drive us around the city uh, where we also had, we met hundreds. We had probably hundreds of local Irish volunteers who were awesome. They did everything from what we did to uh, some of them joined us in our groups that went out and ministered in the streets uh, to stuffing 10,000 Easter eggs in about two and a half hours one night after ministering, after dinner, after the meeting. You go into the chapel and you stuff Easter eggs, and there were 10,000 of them. And uh, we were thankful to see about 60 volunteers in there when we walked in because we thought we were going to have to do it all. And me and Zach did the math, and we were like, ooh, this is going to take a while. <laughs> so, uh, But anyway, so then we walked in and we saw all these uh, volunteers, which was one of my favorite times, just on the side note, is Zach and I, uh, we all split up. They encouraged us to uh, meet different people, you know, because you – it's a, it's a lot of work. It's, it's not a vacation. You know, it's work, work, work. And uh, so we sat with these four ladies that were probably in their 60s who were uh, Christian volunteers from Limerick. And, boy, we sat there with them for two and a half hours. I have never talked so much in my entire life. I'm not, you know, I talk some here. But, boy, they ask us questions. We ask them questions, and it was awesome. And every single one of them on the last day after the big Easter festival came and hugged our necks. It was awesome. Uh, God, get a little emotional thinking about it. Um, but, anyways, uh, yeah, they were very grateful to, you know, for all of the people that were, you know, doing what we were doing as far as the mission. And uh, um, <clears throat> uh, not to mention, you know, can't forget about the people who prayed, the people who supported, uh, you know, any of the missionaries because, you know, there's probably hundreds or thousands of them, who knows. So it takes it takes an army, but, uh, but that's what, you know, God has. So, amen. Um, Global Ventures was incredible in, you know, everything that they did, their vision that they had, and, and uh, they were so organized and carried it out, you know, to the end. And everything was done in excellence uh, from, from the food that we ate to the events, to where we had the events, to the people that put them on and the people that helped and the prizes. I mean, we gave out 
there's no telling what they spent on prizes to bait people to come in. I mean, you know, we weren't giving away, uh, you know, plastic toys. They were giving away iPhones and iPads and 65-inch TVs and every single night. I mean, they spent, which is great. It's all great. It's what got them, a lot of what got them, you know, people to the event to hear the gospel and, and ultimately hopefully get saved or healed or, or both. And uh, so you got to have that, you know, because uh, Jesus was a fisherman, you know. <laughs> That's all he did. He's a, he was a fisher of men, not a fisherman. Um, so anyway, and, and every day we'd do street ministry, and Tabitha told you about how we did it, and we had the clown, and we had the skid, and we had a, a, a kind of a, a routine that was based on that. But, you know, we also handed out flyers, and our main one of our main goals was to get thousands of people to our event so that they could hear the gospel, you know, in that kind of setting. And uh, uh, let's see, it was very similar to street ministry here at home, I think. Uh, people were busy with day-to-day stuff, and they, some, most or a lot, didn't want to be bothered, you know, it'd be like us, you know, having something to do, being stopped on the street and asked, you know, questions. So it was a lot like probably ministering here on the street, you know, to give you an idea. Um, we performed a skit, had a routine, um, and it all worked well, and it was all researched, and they did a great job with that. But the best, the best single ministry memory that I have uh, when we were out on the streets on the main street one day, and we just got out there, and we walked by this girl, and I stopped, and she was sitting down. She had a sign. I forget what it said, but it was just, you didn't see many home, homeless people uh, or, or like people, you know, uh, begging for money. You know, there were not many, there was not much of that at all. But this girl was sitting there and she was leaned up against like a garbage can, kind of squatted down and had a sign. And I, I went by and I threw in a couple of euros in her thing and it, you know, it, it made a noise and she lifted her head up. And I, uh, Emily and Dee and another, somebody else from our group came back with me and we ministered to her, you know, and, uh, you know, she got saved right there, you know. It was awesome. And, uh, you know, she had fans. It doesn't matter what the problem was. She got born again right there on the spot. You know how it is, and you can see her countenance change. You can see hope come in. It, it was incredible. Um, this wasn't on our team, but they would come back in the afternoons while we were having dinner, and they'd give testimonies of what happened that day. And on another team, they ran into a guy that was in the mob. And they started ministering to him, and he's like, it's too, I've gone too far. You know, there's no way. I've done too many bad things, and there's no way now that I can even get into heaven because, like I said, they think it's based on their works. So they ministered Jesus and let him know that it wasn't too late and that he was forgiven and he received salvation that day because they said the suicide rate's really high in Ireland. And I'm sure it's because they're trying to make it all on their own, so uh, which is impossible. So um, I forgot to share that earlier. Awesome. Uh, so you know that that was it. Basically, every day, that's what we did: was we ministered to people and we shared the love of God, and we handed out what they called tickets to uh, the the festivals that we had, and and everything was done in such excellence. And uh, the summation, as it was on the last time we went. 18 years ago, even when we went to Peru, to sum it all up, uh, God is uh, uh, the 
sum it all up is that, that, that God is awesome and he's in us and that all he needs from us really is our hands, our feet, and our voice. And uh, just to do his will in the earth. And, and uh, what he doesn't necessarily need, although he, we can use it, but he doesn't need our wisdom and intelligence and ability. Okay? Because, <laughs> I mean, honestly, I don't have much of that to give him as the way I feel compared to him. So uh, wisdom, intelligence, and ability is not what t- took us to Ireland. It was just a want to and... Uh, Want to see our family do uh, that sort of thing and be used by God. So it was awesome. So thank you all for letting us share. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, um, it was a good experience for me. I really enjoyed it for it being my first missions trip. And I like that I got to be Jesus and represent because to them it's a big deal. And we just probably don't think of it as such a big deal just to actually represent Jesus like on a stage or anything. But it was also when we went to the the, where the older people were, got to witness some like firsthand healings, like miracles right there, and that was cool because I haven't really experienced it that much before. So that was a cool experience. And but yeah, but thank you. <laughs> oh yeah, they were already recruiting Zach, but we hadn't sat on that yet. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for sharing. You know, the whole world needs Jesus. Hmm? In any social status, did you know that poor people need Jesus? Lonely people need Jesus? Rich people need Jesus? Smart people need, need Jesus? Not as smart people need Jesus? There's an old song that said, people need the Lord. Praise God. And thank God for people who come out of their comfort zone to bring Jesus to them. Amen. Mark, well, yeah, Mark chapter 5, if you will. Got some things I want to share with you today. We're living in in the last days. How many of y'all believe that? I remember I was with someone, I won't say who it is, and they were what you might consider elderly. And so they, this person was asking this person, they said, do you believe that we're living in the last days? And this elderly person said, I am. <laughs> See, that was a different perspective, right? And when you were living in your last days, you got a heart for Jesus, you want to do something that counts, I think. Is that right? You want to be remembered for something more than your great cornbread. Huh? But here's the good news. The good news is we're just getting started. I had, a, I had an interesting week this week, uh, just of time of reflection, and I was uh, going through some stuff that I didn't know that was in a in my office area. I was looking for something. You ever done this? You was looking for something, but you found something else when you was looking for something. And that took me through a two-day detour of uh, ministry notes from 1995 forward. And then you could kind of um, see yourself 
by looking back at yourself, by looking at notes, and then I, and my wife is always taking great notes. We went to Bible school. I, I really, uh, I didn't take notes that much because she was taking notes. And I said, you know, if she's going to take notes, why would I take notes? And her notes are better. She could kind of do the shorthand. I didn't know how to just kind of, you know, get the big part of it. I, I was trying to write every word because I figured it'd come up on a, t a test. So I, she made notes, and I just, if I was impressed by something, then I just wrote that down. But I just, I remembered what I heard. And that's okay. I, I, I graduated with a 3.90 average. So that was pretty good for not, for not having any notes. But just going back and looking and listening, I could see, sometimes you can't see when you're in the middle of it, is when you step back from something and then you get a, 10, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 year glance at something, then you can sometimes see the bigger picture than you can when you're just looking at a picture. Right? You ever, look, you ever saw an old photograph, maybe of yourself or in a group, and you looked at yourself and you realized, wow. <laughs> I remember one time I went on a diet and I started that quick. And uh, someone had taken a picture. Uh, it, was, uh, it was a number of years ago. Taylor was home. He wasn't out of the Marines, but he came home for a little while. And we was up at the uh, CCA school for something. And they asked him to be a part of uh, that ceremony because they needed someone from the military to do certain things. And uh, someone had asked to take our picture. And uh, so he, uh, we did when we was taking a picture with Taylor. And the photographs came in about you know, about a month ago, they handed to Michelle. And when I first looked at the, at the photograph, I thought, when I first saw the picture, I thought I was um, Michelle's uh, stepfather, Bryant. Then I realized it was me. And I thought, I, I'm, I'm going to have a salad today. Because <laughs> he was about 20 years older than I was at least. And, uh, you know, but I, I didn't see that until I saw that. And when you go back and you look and you see God wants to show us things about us that we don't see. And God is going to use some things in you that you do see to help people who can't see. Amen? So today, I may say some things, and don't take it wrong. Um, you know, there's people sitting outside of churches everywhere who are, I, I would say they're probably saved. Uh, the church would call them backslidden. I'm not going to call them all that. I'm just going to say sometimes they've been hurt offended, maybe they made a mistake, and uh, they didn't feel accepted, they felt like they were rejected, or someone used them, or someone didn't use them, and they have a hundred reasons why they're not, they're not involved. But you know, there's no one who had the opportunity to be offended more than anybody than God himself, because he's had more people lie about him. Sometimes it's just through ignorance of doctrine or lack thereof. And they say, God did this and God did that and God did this. More people have preached God's killed people more than... So if anyone had a right to be offended, it would be God himself. And, uh, <clears throat> and there's something about the gospel that is... Um, <clears throat> uh, certainly the presentation of it is the gospel is the love of God. That's what the great grace message is. It's the love of God at work. But when you preach the gospel, like Jesus preached the gospel, there's many times when you're preaching the gospel, it comes with force. And it brings people to decisions. 
It brings them to a choice. There'll be people in heaven that'll thank someone else one day because someone was a little bit of what could be called offensive or abrasive to them. Because maybe their time was drawn nigh and someone got to them in a certain way and then pushed them to the mark. Amen. So if you could be offended today, I will probably be the instrument to do it. But I didn't come here to do that. Okay? And so sometimes we, we, we don't move much forward and, and uh, sometimes we don't need to come here as much as we need to think. Huh? The Lord shared something with me this week. I just never thought about it this way. He, he was talking about, I was reading about Abraham, and I was, uh, they waited almost 25 years for Isaac, the promised child, remember? And uh, what a miracle. Someone 100 years old having a child. The next thing Abraham was told to do was take the child's life. You think, wow, <laughs> I've waited 25 years for a miracle, and now God says kill the miracle. Well, we won't read the story because you're familiar with it. And we know that he took him up there, and he did everything he did to prepare his son as a sacrifice. And his son said, asked Abraham, he said, his father, he says, where is the sacrifice? He said, the Lord shall provide. We know that Abraham was going to carry out the whole thing. Matter of fact, he raised his knife after he put his son over, you know, the, the place that he made to sacrifice. And then he was going to offer him. And then after his death, he would, he would be a burnt sacrifice. Remember that? And as he raised up his knife, an angel of the Lord says, don't do this. He said, and in the thicket, in the ram, he said, there was a ram. And the Lord has provided in the thicket the sacrifice. And it's something like uh, William Goss said a long time ago, in his first book, he said, uh, <clears throat> the Lord asked him one time, would you be willing to let go of everything that you ever, how'd that go? Everything that you ever knew, that you, everything that you ever thought was true, would you be willing to let go of everything that you know, everything that you thought was true, to lay hold of everything that you've only dreamed of? And sometimes it requires, what we do requires great sacrifice. Sometimes we live in periods of time where there's not as much going on as we have in our heart. How many have more in your heart than you're seeing in your life that you're experiencing right now? <clears throat> Is that... I mean, there, there's, there's more that you want to see and that's really in your heart and you know really you didn't place it in your heart, God did. So if you're not cautious, you can let that just build into frustration and then uh, disappointment and discouragement. And, but really, we're, you're being prepared for such a time as this. And uh, I was asked a question this week. I never thought about it this way. <clears throat> he said, do you know why Abraham went alone? And I said, alone where? He said, to sacrifice. <clears throat> he said, you know why Sarah didn't go? And then he answered the question. He said, because he didn't tell her. I hear people sometimes say, I was in a meeting. The Lord told me to go do so-and-so. And you said, well, tell my wife. So in other words, Lord, cover my rear. So when I get home and I tell her what we did or what I gave away, she won't be upset with me. And there are things that we should have agreement about, especially if we're married about. But did, did, if you think about this, the Lord had given Abraham instruction to sacrifice and to kill his only son. He, Abraham just didn't share that with Sarah. 
Now, what if it had gone the other way and he come home at the end of the day to tell her, she said, where's Isaac? He said, oh, I meant to tell you. Abraham would have had a different kind of life. And I asked the Lord, I said, why didn't he tell Sarah? He said he couldn't because Sarah wouldn't have allowed it. He said, because Sarah didn't love me as much as Abraham did. Because she doesn't know me as well as Abraham knew me. So, his, so, so Abraham's love for Sarah was that he just didn't tell her. Because he didn't know how the Lord was going to make it right, but he knew that he was, but he decided not to put his wife through the process. Remember, he did say, me and the lad are going to go up and sacrifice and we'll come back. But he was willing to take his son's life to obey God. Even if it meant the Lord having to raise him back up. Because he believed the promise that Isaac was the promised child. His mind did not understand why this was happening or he didn't understand the process. I don't think any of us would. But he chose to obey God when he did not understand. And that's something that's very important. Can we obey God when we don't understand the process that we're in? Can we obey God when we don't understand the events and why it is the way it is or why it's taken as long as it is or why things don't seem to be coming together as, as you have in your heart? You see, we have a limited scope of understanding because we have a limited view. Yesterday, it was a cloudy day. But I know this from just from, from being in an airplane, that if you could have got above the clouds, it would have been a sunny day. But, but from the ground, it was cloudy, wasn't it? But once again, if you were in the heavens or you were above the clouds, you would have a different perspective. And the Lord has a different perspective of life. And we need to have his perspectives. Because when he leads us to do something and he, he calls us to do something and he says, I've called you to do so-and-so, if all we see is us, then we're going to come up on the short end of the thing and, then, and we're going to have a Moses story. I can't, I, I can't, I can't talk, I can't, I stutter, I, I have all these things. And that's not really informing the Lord of anything. He knows our every thought. So he, he calls us and then there's a shaping time, there's a molding time, there's a, there's a developing time. And it takes time. It does, it takes time. It takes time to build a business. It takes time to build a business and become established in a, in a town or a city. Just because you know a craft and you build a building and you start a business and say open doesn't mean the city's going to celebrate you. When I started a floor covering store in Clanton in 1990, I had to go knock on doors. Well, I had moved the store from Selma to Clanton. I wasn't knocking on doors in Selma because I knew who we were. But when I got to Chilton County, they didn't know who we were. And my only competition in the town personally called me and said, I will put you out of business in six months. I'll choke you out of the city. And I said, I'm sorry you feel that way, but that'll never happen. And it didn't happen. There were seven competitors in the city when I moved the floor coven store from Selma to Clanton. Within two years after that, there was only two of us, me and the guy that was going to put me out. But you know what I had to go do? I had to go knock on doors. 
And the other ones who I knew needed something was the one who's building homes. So I just rode up and down the streets and everywhere, and I was just looking for homes and homes. Actually, Tabitha and I's dad did that for a period of a year. I took them off the street before they went shopping. It took me three years to build a business to where it would just survive on a weekly and monthly basis. And almost 30 years later, it's still here. But it took time to build that. And to succeed in God, it, it takes learning some things. And that's just part of the process. So to learn something, you've got to stay in. Are you listening to me? You've you, you got to stay in in the good times. And you've got to stay in in the hard times. Sometimes some of you who work outside, you work in the rain. It's not that you prefer to work in the rain, but it's raining and you, and you need to work, right? Or you got to go find work somewhere if you can on the inside. So the thing is, we just decided just to be in. A.M. And so for some of you this morning, I don't know this may sound kind of disjointed, but uh, for some of you, you've been in it for a while, and you're kind of, in the, you're kind of on the sidelines. Maybe I'm in that too. I put it, sorry, uh, ladies, for doing this. I'm going to have to use the sports analogy again. If I was a female, I'd probably do use cooking or something, but, uh, uh, or parenting. But it's kind of like we weren't the five-star recruit or the four-star or the three-star. Or we were, but we got injured. And we've been sitting on the sideline. And we've sat here long enough to where we've nursed our wounds and now we're not even thinking about going back in. So you're kind of hiding on the sidelines, but the Lord knows exactly where you're sitting. And you're on the last row in the church, and God's calling you up to the front. But you don't want to come to the front because you know what happened when you was on the front last time and you got the wind knocked out of you. In school, <clears throat> when I was in the seventh grade, our teacher, uh, which he was... Well, I won't get into all that. Uh, Calvin Wilkins. Did anyone ever know who Calvin Wilkins was? He was my bus driver, too, but he, he taught PE, and he was so... Uh, he, uh, he couldn't teach the way he used... Uh, you couldn't have him in school today, and he'd be in, he'd be in major trouble. Because this... You know, I went to school, like a lot of you did, when, when the teacher disciplined. Right. And uh, they could always get my mother's permission. <laughs> <laughs> But I never got much trouble in school because I knew they reported that at home. And that's the one I was worried about, is what would happen when I got home. I could live through the school thing. But uh, Mr. Wilkins, he, in his, uh, there in, in PE, and he had an office there, and he kept in his, uh, he kept in his drawers. He, you get in trouble, he said, come on, come on, baby. And he'd open his drawer, and there would be uh, five or six choices of how he would discipline you. And he said, this paddle right here, he said, this is a 22. This one's a 410. This one's a 10 gauge. This one's a 12 gauge. He said, this one's a 30 out of six. This one's a 30 30. And so uh, you, was, you was crazy if you picked the 410. Because you said you, you thought it had less power to it. So it was, uh, it was a deception to go that way. So I would just pick the 30 30. <laughs> they were all the same. And if you forgot your gym clothes, you just didn't set out. 
if you forgot your gym clothes, then he made you go outside and he put you on, it's the old Adair school, he put you on the, on the track where, you know, that the football players use and you ran for an entire hour. And if you stopped, then you picked your choice of four tens, twenties, that's this and this. And he was a hard man. But he developed, he developed some young men who today are champions in, in the way they do and the way they think because someone was hard enough on them because he could see the potential in them. But potential was not developed in, in easy conditions. The genius of the tea bag, when you make tea, the genius of that is never known until it's put in hot water. And some of us, from time to time, we get in hot water and we don't like it. We want out because it, it hurts. But that's where your genius comes out. See, you don't grow much in good times. You grow in the hard times. If you went by numbers and figures, my ministry was bigger in the very beginning when I knew almost nothing. That doesn't make sense. Does it? When I knew the least, if you're going by figures, I had more than when I, than today. <clears throat> As you get older, you'll, you'll choose what's important to you. When you get over 50 or 60 years old, some of the pleasantries sometimes come off. In other words, you might serve something without the garnishings. It'll take you less words to say what you have on your mind. <laughs> some people will misunderstand it and think you just turned plain mean. <laughs> But you realize you don't have time for everything, so you pick your own battles, right? And, and you love all people, but you just learn to stay away from some of, some of them you just stay away from. You choose where you're going to use your energy and your resources. Hmm? The best time to catch a pastor is not after he preached and tell him your life story. That's the wrong time. He's tired. He wants to sit down or go home. I know it's the only time you saw him that, that, that week, but, I mean, there's got to be a better time to do that and a better way to do that. Now, Keith Moore, he can go out the back door and they don't ever talk to him. <clears throat> that wouldn't work in Jemison. Amen. So some of you have been sitting on the sidelines for a while, but God's calling your number. He's reenlisting you. But it won't be like it used to be. Hmm? Some of you are a little gun shy because of what was. And it doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect this time. But it's going to be right. And you're ready now. And God has need of you. So he's calling you up and calling you in. After a day of miracles in Mark 5, which I don't want to have time to read, when he, he was headed to Jairus' house, 
because they, he said, my daughter's dying, but I believe if you'll come to my house, she'll live. And he says, Jesus said, let's go. On the way to Jairus' house, they ran into this woman we call the woman with the issue of blood, and she's really the, the biggest part of the chapter. But once again, it starts with Jesus being contacted by Jairus. And then the woman with the issue of blood, she had a major miracle. And Jesus asked the woman after this, this woman with the issue of blood who was dying, he said, who touched me? And his disciples said, Jesus, everyone's touching you. Why would you ask who's touching you? Because everyone is. And Jesus was talking about, now this is just not any kind of touch. And the woman who touched him, fearing, because she was not by law supposed to be around people. She had a blood disease. Matter of fact, she could be stoned to death for even be out in public. She was a woman who had great wealth and influence, but she spent all that she had trying to, trying to be healed, trying to be better. The Bible says and she spent all she had, and she was not better, but she was actually worse. But she'd heard some reports of Jesus and what he had done to help hurting people and sick people. And she thought, if I could just get to him, if I, 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 don't, even have to I, don't, I don't even have to talk to him. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, I believe I could be healed. So she took all the energy that she had and she broke the, the law and she saw him coming. She heard him coming and there was a throng of people around him. So she said, if I could just touch the hem, I believe I'll be healed. And that's what she did. She made her way through the crowd and she barely touched the hem of his garment. And the Bible says, and virtue went out of him. He, Jesus, the Messiah, had to ask, who touched me? He accredited her healing to her faith and not his. Sometimes you think God will never help me because of what I have done or I, I haven't done. But you have to remember in this story that Jesus didn't size her up to see if she was worthy of a miracle. Hmm? Church might. Religion always does. And you're never worthy. I've offended a whole lot more people in 20-something years than you have because I've had one of these. I've been talked about more than all of you put together because I've had one of these. I've been understood or more misunderstood than most of you because I've had one of... If I wanted to have more friends, I'd get out of... And I could be normal. But I wake up every day with something from heaven inside my gut that won't leave me alone. But even when I'm on vacation, it won't, it, won't, it, won't, it won't shut off. It just keeps on keeping on. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh boy, here we go. Hallelujah. Pastor Buzzy, some of you knew him, some of you had to meet him in heaven. He was a man who marked my life. We don't have many markers, but thank God for the ones he puts in our life. He kept this in his Bible all the time. This is just what he reminded himself of. It says, my prayer. Lord, I ask you that the Holy Spirit would keep me, would, would keep me with the consciousness that Christ lives in me. His message was in Christ. 
He had thousands of testimonies. Buzzy went into a place one time where they did surgery on a man, and they said they opened him up. He's full of cancer. They said, there's nothing we can do. We don't need time to sew him up. He'll be dead in just a few minutes. So they just put him on the other side of the curtain, and he still split. His wife was crying. She said, they're, they're letting him die. He's full of cancer. Buzzy went in there and put his hands on his chest, and it burnt. his hand print burned in his skin. And for 20 years later, his handprint was still on that man's chest. And all cancer disappeared. He has thousands of testimonies like that because he found out who he was in Christ and he let the Christ in him be lived out every day. Buzzy was an alcoholic. <laughs> he, he said, well, he said, my problem was I, I enjoyed partaking of strong drink. <laughs> He said, I've done so much that's wrong. He said, I'd have to ride a mule backwards just to see where all I'd been. He said, so for some of you who drank, he said, I spilled, he said, I spilled more liquor on my tie than most of y'all ever got down your mouth. But he met Jesus. And he was, he was changed forever. And so he said, uh, he said these things. He says, Lord revealed to me my thinking that I'm totally one with you. Lord, I desire that you reveal that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead by manifesting his resurrection life through me. Lord, grant me boldness to proclaim the highest and best revelation you give me. Lord, grant me knowledge how to impart life, which is Zoe, to others that are in need. Now by my God, give faith. I lay hold on these requests that I may live and impart my inheritance of faith. Oh, here's the one I, he used to say a lot. Lord, I yield my will to you that you would press me into the attitude of daring to speak and act only on your word. Buzzy could just unnerve you. He preached in Christ and he'd have a healing line. And he says, he said, if, he said, if Jesus Christ can get you healed tonight, you be healed. I thought, what, are you gonna, what do you do with that? <laughs> If Jesus Christ can get you healed, you'll be healed tonight. Press me into the daring. So God is calling you out. At the end of this chapter, Jesus gets to Jairus' house. Before he gets there, his daughter's dead because of the woman with the issue of blood. Too much time went by. They, they came from his house and told, told Jairus, don't trouble him, the master, any longer because your daughter died a few minutes ago. Jesus heard that, and before Jairus could say anything, he said, uh, just only believe. Believe what? Well, I guess believe what you said. Well, what did he say? If you come to my house, my daughter will live. Yes. Jesus said, I'm still coming to your house. So you think you've run out of time sometimes. Too much time's gone by. It's like Tabitha was talking about that one guy said, you know, with the mob, I've done too much, too wrong, too long. It's, it's too late to turn back now. This Bible is made up of people who were misfits. The Lord kind of likes picking those people. The man who, to this day, who's built the longest, the, the, the man who's still alive today, who built the largest church in America, not in America, but in the world. America doesn't even have a big church, any big churches, compared to some of the ones that's been in Korea. Like Dr. Cho. Dr. Cho built a church before he retired of about a million people. 
you could come once a month. They assigned you when was your one Sunday a month. He had to put it up in sale groups, and, and he, 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 he put his church into much smaller congregations and had hundreds of pastors. He said, I'm going to break this down to a small church of 10,000 per church. He called that a sale group. And he said in America, God doesn't use many smart people because he's had no success with them because they're too smart. That's what Scott was saying. He's not... He's not chosen you because of your IQ. There's something about people who's made mistakes in life over and over and over again is that when they come to find out the love of God, they have a, usually a compassion for people who are hurting just the way that they hurt. You know, George Meyer's ministry is to who? To people who are hurting emotionally, could be physically. She could help a lot of people, but her whole ministry is built from people who was victims. For she herself was one. Brother Higgins' ministry ended up as a teacher and a prophet, although he pastored for a season. But his was primarily known for faith and healing. Why? Because he was dying on a, on a deathbed when he was 16. Or Roberts had a healing ministry. Why? Because he was dying on a deathbed. God has a way of taking your hurts the things that you struggle with, the things that have held you back, the things that people in the world has identified you as and making you a champion out of that. It's not that I have to be a, a drug addict or a dope addict to help one because that's not what delivers people. That, that gives me a point of contact. That helps them to think I can understand their story. But Jesus didn't become a drug addict to help one. But it does call them. Amen. And it's just amazing. The very thing that keep, has kept you in bondage all these years is, is the very thing God's going to use you to liberate others when the time's right. Now, when you get saved, the time to go do that is not the next week. Because the, the flesh is still weak and it's still familiar. And there's things called demons, which are familiar spirits who are familiar with you. And they'll lure you right back into the place that you said you'd never go into. So now he's going to strengthen you and he's going to teach you and he's going to reveal who he is to you and who you are in him and through him. See, if you think that you're smart enough that you can minister without the anointing, you'll try. And people do it every Sunday. They transfer head knowledge from my head to your knowledge and we call it a Bible lesson. And usually there's not an ounce of anointing in the room. It's kind of like Israel that got so used to miracles that they didn't know when God moved on. They were sitting back here and God, the glory cloud had moved over there and they didn't even know it. The church is okay talking about William Brannan and Jack Coe and Amy Simple McPherson and Catherine Coe and all these generals of, of, of faith and the A.A. Allens. We've become comfortable about reading books and talking about what God did to Azusa Street. And the Lord wants to know, what about your day? At the end of the day, Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead, and the people around said they were astonished with great astonishment. When's the last time you went to church and was astonished? We just think a miracle at church now is if we can get out by 12. 
Wow, the preacher finished by 12. It's a miracle. Expectation is the breeding ground for manifestation of miracles. Expectation is the breeding ground for miracles. When expectation is present, so is joy. Because you're expecting. Right? Your countenance changes. Joy is the proof of your expectation. Proverbs 24, 14 talks about find godly wisdom. When you find it, you shall have a future and a reward and you will have a hope of expectation and your hope and your expectation will not be cut off. Expectation is a strong belief that something is going to happen. Get ready for changes and shifts. See, some of you are thinking you're, you're getting ready for retirement. That, that's okay. But the Lord's not retiring you. Your, your retirement will be when you go, and it's your last one. Until then, you're still in. So he's not going to retire. He's going to refire you. Well, I'm sleepy. Well, you can sleep when you're dead. <laughs> I've kept some people alive longer than they were supposed to live. I say I, but I'm just saying I was the instrument that was used. And sometimes I do it by just telling them how much they were needed, which was all true. Most of them, to be honest with you, I kept them alive because I made them mad. Now, I, would, I never did that in my former days. I thought that was just cruel. Someone on their deathbed, and, and I come in there, and, and I insult them. And they said, I'm, Pastor, I'm leaving. I said, no, you're not leaving. You're not leaving just because you're lazy. And they're like, huh? And they said, this man only got a few hours to live. I said, I know it. I said, so you expect me to do my job in yours, and you're just going to go to heaven? They said, I'm dying. I said, no, you're quitting. You're quitting because you ran out of dreams. And when you run out of dreams and vision, you're, you run out of life. Did you hear what I said? When you, when you run out of a reason to get up, and whatever Cracker Barrel has on Thursday no longer is your big thing, then, you, then life itself will come to sink your boat. And look here. Life puts enough water in your boat without you drowning yourself, putting some more in it. Huh? And in 25 years of ministry, I've learned this, that people are not up on what they're down on. Hmm. But if you just have a great expectation and you just know a little bit about God, God wants you. And he wants to use you. I have a day today, kind of like I did when I was 33 years old. I started. <clears throat> the, the, the sign out there says Grace Life Church. Legally, our name is Living Word Bible Church, DBA Grace Life Church. 
God changed us to Grace Life Church in 2010 because he changed my entire life and he said, rename the church. Alabama makes it real easy for it to be a DBA, but legally we are Living Word Bible Church. And the first building that I owned was the funeral home. I was just so glad that we had the word living. Because <laughs> I learned that you could spend a quarter of a million dollars, which I did, and when you told them where you was at, they'd say, oh, the old funeral home. You just couldn't get rid of that. But we had a lot of live meetings there. Hmm? We had a lot of Holy Ghost meetings. We had some amazing things happen. The reason why it was greater is because when you know the less, you're more dependent. See, it's a great trap to fall into to learn a lot. Because you, you'll become an intellectual. And you can tell them everything that you know. And then you start operating out of all your intelligence. And miss God 100 miles. I'm just as amazed today when God heals a headache as I am when he raises the dead. Because see, I know I have no ability to do that. And I'm mostly amazed that he uses me. Because see, I know more about me than you know about me. I know things about me I'm not willing to tell you. I know things about me I'm not willing to tell her. So don't ask me after lunch because the answer is still no. <laughs> she might even ask me to leave. I don't know. So I don't, I don't want to be homeless today. So there's some things I'm just tick a lock, throw the key away. Hmm? Isn't it amazing that God knows everything about you? And loves you. And doesn't want to live without you. He knows everything about you. Everything. I always say if you have one good friend in this life, one true friend, you're, you're a wealthy person. If there's someone on this planet who knows pretty much all your mistakes and you've shared them with it, and they still want to be your friend. You're a wealthy person. True other friends, sometimes you're just there when you can help them. Some of your, friend, some of your friendships, they're of God, but they're not. They're for different purposes. For some of your friends, sometimes you're a missionary. The way it works with the missionaries, if you'll come and you'll pay all your way of getting here and then you'll bring something to help us with and you can come. So your missionary, your, your missionary friend is, is you, give, you, you do all the giving. And then when they come talk to you, they want to talk about them. They want to tell you about them. They want to tell you about their life and their problem. And the more that I find out that people want to tell me their problems, I mean, when you just listen, you just realize, well, this is just something you don't know about God. But I have money problems. No, you just have a wisdom issue. I have, a, I have marriage issues. No, you have, you have a marriage wisdom issues. Because the answer to that is right here. But you haven't done that, nor have you wanted to study it. Well, I just want to pray that my marriage will be better. Why? That's like saying, pray, pray that, you know, if, if I know this sounds callous, 
I'm not saying that I couldn't pray and God not do something, but let's just say you got on a solid white suit, right? But you got this bad habit of going out in the muddy, in the, in the rain, and, and getting in mud puddles. And then you're saying, pray that when I go out in the rain in the mud puddles, my white suit won't become muddy. Would you do that? Would you have confidence in your prayer? What, what might you tell that person? <laughs> well, not quite as strong. <laughs> what, what, what might we tell them? What? Quit going out in the rain and the mud in your white suit and you'll quit getting muddy. So if you're violating everything about marriage and, and a healthy relationship and you don't want to come to church to find out, you don't want to read a book about it, you don't want to go to a seminar and you just want me to pray that your marriage will be better, I don't have much confidence in my prayer because you're just too lazy to read. If every other marriage in America fails, that's a high percentage of failure. When Brian lays tile, if every other job the tile turns loose, they're going to quit calling him. They are. If every time Nathan takes a fender off and sprays and paints it and puts it back on and every other car he does, the fenders fall off and the hood comes off while they're driving and all that, I mean, his, his business will be a place of, I mean, it'll be a museum one day. But yet you jump into a, a marriage forever and say this is forever and you don't know anything about it. You don't read the book. You don't read any book. You don't take any advice. You say, all we need is love. Yeah, but after every wedding comes a marriage. <laughs> hmm? And I'm still learning things. She tells me that if I leave, she'll never get married again. Because she didn't have the energy to train somebody else. And all I said to that was me too. <laughs> I may learn to take up fishing. Who knows? Expectation. Webster said, the act of expecting of looking forward to a future event with at least some reason to believe the event will happen. Could you look forward to it with some expectancy that it will happen? The prospect of a good to come, the confidence of a future event, a reason to look forward. Because the greater one's in you. You know, there's power in this room right now. There's the, the, the electrician made sure that it would be. This building was built to be a, a furniture store. So every... For those of you who never noticed, every eight to ten feet is a outlet plug. Why is that? Because they wanted a living room set and they wanted to plug a lamp there and they wanted to put one in here and they wanted to put it over here because they wanted to display what a living room might look like or a dining room, right? So we were blessed to have a lot of outlets. Either one of these outlets is a station to kill you if you misuse it. Would anyone like to come up here and prove that there's power in the building and I'll give you a paper clip and you can stick it in any one of these receptacles and you will get an experience? Would anyone like to demonstrate that? So power is in the building, but it's harnessed. It's a blessing to us, but if we misuse it, it's a curse to us. 
What, what could bless you is meant to bless you could kill you. True? With water, you can drink and stay alive. You can wash clothes, wash your car, whatever. But you can also drown and, and lose your life. A car with a V8 loaded with options. A car of 4,000 pounds. But it's activated with a key that weighs less than an ounce. When Jesus told his disciples to get in the boat and go to the other side, remember what happened? The Bible said a storm came up. Now, it wasn't just any kind of storm. The Amplifier said it was one of hurricane proportions. And Jesus was asleep. He'd been teaching all day long. He'd been ministering all day long, and he was tired and wanted to lay down. And so the storm was going on, and he's asleep. And his disciples woke him up and said, Here, and here's how they addressed him. They said, Master, you don't even care if we perish, do you? And Jesus got up and he rebuked the storm and said, peace be still. And when he got the rebuke in the storm, he rebuked them. Hmm? What I wrote down was, because Jesus has been teaching all day long about the kingdom of God and how it operates and how they have power in life. He demonstrated how to feed uh, thousands of people with a three-piece fish dinner. He took and multiplied the resources. He talked to them about the kingdom of God and how what they would say and what they would speak and how the whole kingdom operates on, on, the, on these premises of the kingdom. Then they had a place to apply it, and the first thing they thought about was dying, and they woke him up and they accused him of not caring. Hmm? Then, then Jesus, who's the creator of the world, he didn't get up and say, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have taken you out in a storm. Jesus wasn't a misinformed meteorologist. Hmm? Because it was his words that created the lake. It was his words that carried creative power. His plan carries his purpose. He doesn't waste words. You're not a mistake. You say, I made some. doesn't make you a mistake. You just fell in the mud and got muddy. So he didn't take him down to the middle of the lake to drown them. That wasn't his purpose. When Peter was in the boat and Jesus came out to them, and it was stormy that night. And the disciples was in the boat. Jesus came to them, what? Walking on the water, remember? And of course, out of all of them, it was Peter. And Peter said, Master, if that's you, bid me come on the water. And Jesus said, it's me, come on. And we know that Peter got out of the boat and decided to walk on water. Because Jesus said, it's me, come. Jesus had, Peter had to be convinced of his love more than of his power. You'll be powerful as a force for God when you operate in how he loved you and not how you feel. 
See, most of us want to talk about what they did or what they didn't do or how you feel. But there is no love in self. Every sin of mankind, known to mankind, has one root. It's called selfishness. Why is anyone in prison? Well, they went for because they wanted what? Well, they stole this because they want, oh, they wanted somebody else's stuff. Well, he was mad, so they shot. See, it was something that made them feel or their need or their want, something that was about them that they carried out an action. It's all rooted in selfishness. All sin is rooted in selfishness. So the love of God is not self-seeking. That's why the scripture says, only says one thing about where you can't fail. It says the love of God in you is what cannot fail. It didn't say power. It didn't say faith. It didn't say, it said love never fails. It never fails. You're never any more like Jesus than when you're loving other people. And you're treating them the way that you want to be treated. Corinthians says there'll be a time where the gifts as we know them, he said, tongues will cease. The knowledge will cease. The interpretation of tongues will cease one day. All these things of the gifts will cease. He said, but love never will. He's, Jesus said, or Paul said, that you could, you could have the faith to speak to a mountain and it be removed. He said, but if you don't have my love, you are nothing. Did you hear that? You know, you know how many times we've been impressed by miracles? And it could be that the Lord's not impressed at all. Because he, see, he knows the motive. Hmm? There's been many of what look like great ministries that have fallen that don't even exist today. Because they forgot the principle of love. They got over on power. They got over on victory. They got over on all these things. But they left the foundation that faith only works by love. Love what? I love you and treat you the way I'd want to be treated. I'm cold. I see you're cold. I got two coats, and I thought, I'm going to hang on to my two coats. You know, I, I worked. You know, they probably just don't work like I do. I ain't giving my coat. But that's not how I'd want to be treated, but that's how I'm going to treat you. Hmm? Everyone in the world needs encouragement sometimes. Did you know that? But the, the Spirit of God told me this week, he said, concerning Abraham going up the mountain, he said, I can never use you like I used Abraham in things of a great nature if you need an audience. He said, if you need partners to agree with you, he said, it'll limit how I can use you. The road in leadership sometimes is very lonely. And it would just means I won't use you in this way. Because you say, I need this and this and this to do this. See, the heartbreak of every pastor, you know what it is? is watching people that you've invested your life into 
that you find out you wanted more for them than they wanted for them. The ones that said they always would, and they leave without so much as a goodbye. Or excuse my friend, some asinine letter that doesn't make enough sense that the devil don't even believe it. Hmm? That's the heartbreak of a pastor. Amen. But the Lord's calling you off the sideline. 1995, May of 1995, I shocked myself. I asked my wife later. I was doing a Bible study. I was doing it in that carpet store. Because I, that's what I did during the day. And I was doing a Bible study. And uh, I was in the carpet store. And they said I said this. But I don't remember saying it. I said, we're not going to have Bible study anymore. I said, in two weeks, we're going we're, we're, we're to start a church. And everybody got quiet. And, I, <clears throat> and so, she's, Michelle said to me afterwards, she says, <clears throat> you didn't tell me that. I said, tell you what, she said, we're going to start a church. I said, who's going to start a church? She said, you told the people today that we're not going to have Bible anymore. We're going to have church. We're going to start in the month of June. You told them that in May. I said, I didn't tell them I was going to start a church. She said, so I picked up the phone. I called a few people who was in there, and they said, oh, yeah, you told them we'll start a church. So I went and prayed. Good thing to do. And I told the Lord, I said, I'm not qualified to start a church. I'm not qualified to speak for you. He answered me. Here's what he said. He said, when will you be qualified to speak for me? By your own estimation, when will you come up and tell me I'm now qualified to speak in your absence? Could you see, could you see telling the Lord that? Jesus, you can take the day off. Holy Ghost, you ain't got to be here today. I'm here. No, you've had a long week. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> so when you have a lot of dependency you see my, I probably prayed more back then because this scared me this, this terrified me I, I had great I mean I, you know my story I, I failed my ninth grade year half of semester and went to summer school because I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't stand up and give an oral book report. She said, you can't, with your grades, you can't afford an F. And I said, I, I can't do that. I, I can't. She says, well, you have to. I said, but I can't. I said, I can't stand in front of people and talk. She says, well, your grades are just averaging. If I give you an F and I average this out, she said, you're going to fail this half semester. And I says, you just go ahead and fail me. I'll go to summer school because I can't stand in front of people and talk. And I said, why, why do I have to? I said, can I just give a report and you can read it and grade it? She says, no, it has to be oral. And I said, well, I don't understand. I told the teacher, I said, because I'm, I'm never going to do anything like that. I'm going to work for the Alabama Power Company. And she says, well, I'm sorry. She said, I wish you would change your mind. And I said, I'll never change my mind. So I would go to her class every day, and while they were preparing their thing, I put my head on my desk, and it would become study hall to me. Because I'd already said, I'm not doing this. And I slept all 
that hour. Because I'll never do anything that requires me standing in front of people and speaking. Because I had the perspective under the clouds. And there's things that God has birthed in you that you don't even know that's there, and he's, he's calling on them now. You know, when, when Peter got out of the boat, Jesus didn't rebuke him. He didn't say, who do you think you are asking to walk on water? Why, don't you know I'm Jesus? Like that commercial, don't try this at home. <laughs> right? No, Peter saw Jesus doing some things, and it excited him. He was thrilled with it. He wanted to get involved in the supernatural. And he says, if that's you, can I come out there? Can I walk on the water with you? He said, come on, boy. Get out of that boat. And he walked. Everyone preaches about how he drowned. A man walked on the water twice. To be honest with you, Jesus did rebuke him. You know what he rebuked him for? His unbelief. He said, you didn't have to drown. Why'd you take your eyes off me? You ain't walking, boy. You ain't doing this thing. It's the greater one in you that's doing it. Amen. So we're going to start churches all over Alabama. There you go. May seems to be my breakout month. I don't know why it is. Hallelujah. I won't be here as often as I am right now. Hallelujah. Glad y'all thrilled. <laughs> Mm. The Lord's going to cover the state of Alabama like the waters of glory cover the earth. And it's going to be different. You say, how? I don't know. See, this is what walk by faith is. Well, when are you going to start? I don't know. <clears throat> well, how will you start? Don't know. Well, what are you going to work with? Don't know that. Well, where are you going to get the resources? Don't have a clue. Who's going to help? I have no idea. What do you know? Not much. <laughs> Just what I told you. Hallelujah. <clears throat> I have an apostolic anointing that's just now coming into. It's been there, but it's just now coming into. Hallelujah. If you go back to the apostolic a lot of times, it... You, you don't even know it because it's sometimes you don't recognize it one because I'm not looking for it. Now I'll share with you last week. Sometimes people ask me, "Well, how did you start a church?" I said, "Don't know." Well, how do you start one? I ain't got a clue. Well, how do you start yours? Don't know. I tried to talk the Lord out of it. I started the carpet store, and they said, well, "Put up a sign." I said, "No, I don't want to because I want to know over here because maybe if they won't come, I can get out of this. Don't want to do it. Don't want to pastor church." But maybe if I can show the Lord it won't work, he'll leave me alone. So how do you start a church? Don't know. How do you get people to come and give? Don't have a clue. How do you get people to stick? Don't know that either. Do all people stick? No way in the world. Why? People are people. Parable so explains everything. You'd be real smart to study Mark chapter 4 the rest of your life and explain all your problems. The came, the heard, the left, the did, the stayed, the stayed, the came, the did, the this, this, one out of four gets it, and one out of this, and only one out of those four get hundred. The rest of them like, hmm. hallelujah. 
What you do when it's not working? I rejoice in the Lord and I eat Mexican food. <laughs> I order guacamole because it's a natural stress deflector. And I have cheese. It makes me feel good. They say, you don't need to be drinking all that Diet Coke. None of your business. Shut up. <laughs> Drink as long as I want to. I'm over 50. So that's what I'm <laughs> huh? <clears throat> How do you build? You follow Jesus. You endeavor to love people the way he loved them. You believe in people till they can believe in themselves. They'll operate off your faith if you believe in them until they can develop their own. That's worth writing down. Most of you are not writing that down. It took me 30 years to learn that. Most people will rise to the level what you believe in them. Your kids will if you'll just tell them. You celebrate their victories and you hold them while they're crying. Jesus wept. I've heard a million reasons why Jesus wept. Maybe none of them are true. But I know what is true. He loved those people. You say, well, he couldn't have wept because he knew what he was going to do. Well, maybe so. I don't know. Maybe you're right. <clears throat> but he cared. He cared enough to weep. Hmm? And he knew how it was going to turn out. Jesus cares what you care about. The scripture said he's easily moved by the feeling of your infirmities. So the Lord wants to, he's going to raise up an army. It may be house churches. I don't know. I don't care. I don't need a building. I found out I got, if I got a cell phone and Facebook or something like it, I can talk to the world. Who wants all this upkeep anyway? I'm tired of working on this leaky roof. I don't need it. I can make my garage pretty. I know some carpenters. <laughs> Start slinging some mud. And, huh? It's really how the church started. Not this. This is what's crippled people, buildings. We come in and think we're having church. And we're not. Well, the whole world's out there dying. Yeah. And we're in our bless me club. Most churches, you can't do it, but when, it, it'd be fun just to see their faces if we all drove up in the building and was just missing somehow. It's like, <clears throat> we were told years ago, said, if you're ever in Atlanta, you got to go to Houston's and order the ribs. Anyone ever went to Houston's? In order the ribs, we were going to Oklahoma to a, a meeting, and someone says, "Well, here's how they put it." They said, "When you eat at Houston's and you order the ribs, you'll know why God created a pig." <laughs> I thought, "Well, we, we're going to try that then, because that's a pretty strong statement, right?" So <clears throat> we we put it we put the information in. It was, back then it was MapQuest, and you printed the directions off. Can y'all remember being that old? Yeah. <clears throat> And uh, we got there, and, and it said, you're here. And we was on a vacant lot. 
I mean, there's nothing on the lot. It's just paved lot. It was just vacant. And so we went over to the gas station over and I said, uh, do you know where Houston's is? He said, there ain't, there ain't one. I said, well, this, we looked it up and it says right here. He says, no, you, you are where it was. He said, they, um, they closed it down and tore it down. He said, but your address is right. But we didn't eat no pig that day. <laughs> hmm? What would you do if you came here next week and this building was completely gone and we just sit here on this lot? We'd be looking at each other like, what do we do? Well, I don't know, because we have to have a building to be something. Really? Not really, do you? The Swiss family Robinson changed life. They started living out of a tree. Called it a home. I used to think that was a great idea, raising kids. I'll keep them away from other kids. The 40 bring them back then. They'll grow a brain. Then I'll bring them back. Might have been a great idea. I don't know. But here we go. We're going to start off. We're going to get out of the boat. So I'm going to be pulling on different ones. Every so I need you to come here, and I need you to say this, and I need you to come up here, and I need you to go with me over here. And I need you to go into the living room, living room with me over here, and we're going to have a meeting down at Shoney's, and we're going to have one over in this house, and we're going to go in this trailer house. And uh, who wants to go? Hmm? The Lord's got an idea. And I'm just crazy enough to say, let's, let's do it. Hmm? You ready? Well, the ground's shaking, and he's calling you. So whether you're first ring, second, third, whether you've been drafted or not, God's calling you into service. All you got to say is, send me, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Press me into the daring. Press me into the daring. Wow. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Amen. Well, in Jesus' name, I bless you. You're blessed when you come in, but the Bible says you're blessed when you go out. Amen. The blessing of the Lord stays on you, keeps you, goes with you, speaks to you. The Word is in you. It's abiding in you. The Word is strengthening you. Each and every day and each and every moment. You're ready for any match that comes against you this day, this week, whatever it is, you're ready because the greater one in you is ready. You could do all things through Christ which strengthens you. Amen. Hallelujah. Who here needs healing? Who here needs healing in your body? Everybody's healed. Everybody's 100% whole. No one has a physical problem in their body. That's, that's amazing. I didn't know that. I didn't know all y'all, no, no one here had a problem in your body at all. Well, then everybody come lay hands on me then. Yeah. Stretch your hand out if you believe in God for some things in your body. You know that you're healed. And I see that's everybody. You're the same people who said you didn't have a problem. Oh, I know, it's 1225. We should have been gone 25 minutes ago. Someone next to that person, lay your hands on them and speak life into their body and healing.
Don't pat a cake on them. Say in Jesus' name. Say in Jesus' name. Not my name. Not your name. Not my authority. But in his authority. I speak as the representative of Christ. I am his representative in the earth. All that he is, all that he paid for, he did for you and belongs to you. So in Jesus' name, I command all sickness, all disease, all pain to go in Jesus' name. I release into your body, into your mind, into your emotions, into your, into your life, his life, the life of God. In Jesus' name, his life is now flowing in you. It is affecting the very healing and the cure that his name paid for. Your healing, my healing, has been purchased and paid for by the blood of Jesus. Therefore, every symptom must go. Everything, every symptom, every pain, I command to go in Jesus' name. Life is flowing. Healing's flowing. Creative miracles are flowing in your body. God is changing and he's rearranging. He's making new. What once was, will be again. I call you strong. I call you healthy. I call you blessed. I speak peace to your mind and in your home. I declare your finances are healthy. You have more than enough to be a blessing to all the families in the earth. I declare in Jesus' name that all that you put your hand to, that he's called you to do, will prosper in this day. You are the head and not the tail. You are above. You are not beneath. In Jesus' name, I declare you blessed. Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And roll tide. I mean, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, amen. In Jesus' name. Sorry about that. And what? As always next week. <laughs> God is good all the time. God bless you.